If you could turn in your scriptures to Psalm 124. It's a brief psalm, eight, eight um, verses, but <clears throat> we'll see that God's word is powerful. Starting in verse 1. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as their prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Please pray with me. Lord, uh, true, true, true. Now take this word and uh, through your messenger preach it that our hearts may be stirred, that we may grasp the magnitude of what's spoken here. Uh, so that we may do what we were created to do, to glorify you, to walk in faith and trust and in praise of you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so this Psalm 124 falls in the, the, the Psalms as a song of ascent. So there is three festivals throughout the year that God commanded all Israelites. It wasn't optional. This was a vacation you must take that you would go up to Jerusalem. It was called the Song of Ascent because Jerusalem was on a hill. So whether you came from the south, or you came from the north, or the east, you, you, as you journeyed, which is walking, you would journey with your whole community, your friends and your family, you were going uphill. And as they went, they had these psalms through 125, um, or 120 all the way up to, I think, 130, 35, that they would sing. The leaders, the spiritual leaders of the community would lead them in song. And as they would walk, it was a festivity. It was a great, joyous time. But the reality is, this is uh, 2,500 years ago, or 3,000 years ago. It was a dangerous journey. Israel had been given the promised land. They had gone in, but what did they not do? They didn't kick out all of the enemies of God. And so still, sparse throughout the, the lands, as these Israelites lived far away from Jerusalem, as they would come, it was a very dangerous uh, journey. Uh, just think about all the enemies that are listed in the Old Testament. The Philistines, the Amaleks, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Syrians. These people hated the Jews. And not only them, you also had thieves and robbers and barons that have knives. My son is a, a, a fifth grader. And he got a gift card to Big Five. And the thing that he wanted was a knife. And as a ridiculous parent, I went yesterday and helped him buy a knife. And I, mean, and I just saw this thing. I'm thinking, what am I doing Let my son have this? I mean, it's a knife. I said, you have to be really careful with this. And I grabbed it and I put it by my side. Even if you're playing, look, this, this, it goes in, it kills me. Well, they had knives back then. They have daggers back then. And these men journeyed. And they were beaten up. And they were robbed at will. And... So you had the armies that were against them. You had the thieves. You also had the wildlife. David, uh, doesn't he uh, recount of his time of watching the sheep and a, a great lion comes against him? So it was absolutely a very dangerous journey. 
physically and in reality, but they also had concerns of life, taxes, um, chaos going on, coups going on, where you know the, the kingdom could be overthrown. These armies could be marching in. They had famine. They had uh, normal everyday cares that were taking place in their life. See, what this really points to in, in the reality is men and women, we can feel very exposed and vulnerable in life. They felt very exposed and vulnerable in life. Uh, probably much more to the surrounding and, and for good reason back then. We don't have as many reasons like reality. You know, we live in a, at this point a very safe place, but we still feel very exposed uh, and vulnerable to life. We feel, as we even just prayed, exposed and vulnerable to COVID. Do you remember when COVID first hit? It was like absolutely terrified to go out. Like, how do you, I not catch this? I'm going to catch this. This is terrifying. And, and we had these pictures of Ebola uh, in our mind with these people carrying out suits. And, and we had real pictures in America with these uh, backs of semi-trucks that are coolers where they just were storing up the bodies. We also have concern for our jobs for our families, uh, for our finances. Uh, recently, uh, it was announced that China has developed a, a supersonic nuclear weapon that can go around, orbit around the Earth and then hit on a dime. And we live in that situation right now. So we are, we are surrounded by that. We, in reality and in truth, whether right now or at different times, are confronted with the reality of our vulnerability. And, and our weakness. Um, our life is, is full of these thoughts and even seasons of fear and, and moments of panic. Um, another thought kind of creeps in and piggybacks on that is in this moment of fear and this panic and all these things going on, no one's really going to help me. I have to fend for myself. It's up to me to ensure I have a job and a house and safety and take the precautions. Well, this is not the way we as Christians are to live, neither in fear nor in self-trust. Because the reality, if you continue living in either fear or a self-trust, it, it just doesn't go well. It will not go well. But thankfully, God gives us his word and God has another solution. God shows us in his word that uh, it is God himself who is our helper and that we are to grasp God and grasp what God has done and get, grasp God's promises so that we can live with an abiding. Abiding means it's something that is with you. It's not like a diet you started last year and now you put down all the weight. That's not abiding. That's what happened to me. It's not abiding like you're into this hobby, but then you just kind of grow out of it. Abiding is it's ever present. It becomes a characteristic of you. And what characteristic is a abiding understanding and trust in the deep love of God. That as Paul says, that God will is always present and our always available helper and he will rescue us from every evil deed and bring us into the kingdom of his son. Do you now carry with that, are you passing on to your children and your grandchildren that deep abiding trust? Do they look at your life and do they see wow, he or, or she, they have such a confidence in God, despite the surrounding circumstances, that God will deliver them.
And, and the result of this, this is what we want. We want this because the result is rest and relaxation and also the ability to carry out what God has called us to. The ability to keep journeying to God in obedience to Him. Three points in this sermon that are derived from this text. Number one, if God was not on your side, you would be destroyed. Point two, if you are an Israelite, you are totally safe because of God's covenant promises. And number three, asking, me and you asking in our own hearts or even to others, if God is really present and really powerful in our lives is a really ridiculous question that we should stop asking. Starting with number one, if God was not on your side, you would be destroyed. As I said, this is a, a song of ascent. They are working their way um, up to Jerusalem. And they are singing this as they are walking. And look at verse 1. The song goes like this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Verse 2 through 5, he then tells them what would happen, what would happen if God was not on our side. He says, verse 2, he says, the people rose up against us. He goes on in verse 3 and says that they would have swallowed us up alive. This is a picture of something that instantly takes place. They, this enemy, if God had not been for us, would have completely swallowed us up alive. Now, our minds need to go to the history of Israel into the rebellion of Korah that is found um, in the Pentateuch. This rebellion was when Moses had, uh, God, through Moses, brought the people out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness, and there was many, many grumblers. You know, whenever you're in a situation and you're following God, it's very easy to look back and say, it was better back then. Well, there's uh, Korah and a bunch, 250 chiefs of the Israelite nation. These, these strong leaders that said, who are you, Moses? What have you done brought us out here? Why are you so favored? Why are you the leader? And they rebelled against Moses and ultimately rebelled against God. And the story says that uh, God had all these leaders and all their families and all their children separated from the rest of Israel. And it says the land swallowed them up. In an instant, just gone. Just absolutely gone. There's, there's no fight. There's no battle going back and forth. In this passage, he's saying, if God is not for you, it's a one-punch knockout. It's actually embarrassing. Isn't that the worst thing when you have this huge fight you see in like MMA or in boxing? These two guys going at it, and it lasts eight seconds. Because one guy goes out with one punch. That's the reality of you and us. That the psalmist is saying, if it had not been that God was on our side, we are absolutely weak to defend ourselves and to care for ourselves. And here's the thing. If you think you're not, you're, you're wrong. If you think I've got it all under control. I think, brother, we were talking when we first met, and you said one of the things you learned in your wife's sickness was, I wasn't in control. And so, saints, let it not be a tragedy and a suffering to bring us to that point. Just get it. Okay, I'm not in control. I don't have the ability. Otherwise, it comes because we all start to age out. Even from 40, I'm not what I was when I was 20. You will see the reality. We are absolute weakness. Well, he goes on 
he said, if it was not that God was on our side, not only would we instantly be swallowed up, verse 4 and 5 doesn't speak to the uh, our inability to protect ourselves, but it speaks about the kind of suffering that we would endure. But this is uh, really important for us to grasp. Look, he talks about that the anger in verse 3 was kindled against us. And who's the anger? The, you, the Amalekites, the Philistines, these enemies of God. Their anger would have rose against us. And it, he describes this. He says, Then the flood would have swept over us. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. The imagery that David, who's writing the psalm, is bringing about is like a tsunami. A fierce and powerful tsunami. And what was it? December 26, 2004, in the Philippines, there was a 9.1 earthquake underneath the water on the ocean's floor. And it created this massive tsunami. You can go on YouTube and watch it. People are just relaxing. You know the day after Christmas where you just you settle down. You just relax. And these people are at these resorts and it's calm. Beautiful day like this. But then this just flood comes in and the waters come in and it's not a wave that just breaks oh wow that's big wave and then it recedes no the whole sea level rises and there's pictures of entire bottom floors of hotels just be taken over and the panic and the people freaking out rightfully so because you can see the water connecting with the earth it, it becomes this moving mud that is connected with debris and vehicles and broken branches and people, 250,000, 250,000. Right here, there's, there, there's 10, 12 of us. 250,000 people died in this tsunami. The raging waters, the bodies that are left over from the torrent going over the head. It so dismembers the body and disfigures the body with all the debris and all the water crushing it against everything that comes in its way. And that's what he says, not only would we be done in an instant if it was not for God, but how awful it would be for us. Now, he, he, he's not actually talking a figurative tsunami here. He's talking about the enemies of God. He's talking about the other nations. He's talking about our world is full of grotesque and evil where people kill for joy and, and, and nations for greed overcome. And there's 100,000 Russians standing at the border of Ukraine ready to take them over. And battle really happens. We are so far removed, thank God, from death and battle in the United States. Where it hasn't happened on our soil since the Civil War. I'm not a historian. Maybe it's happened earlier, the, the Mexican Wars. But... We, I've never seen somebody die in front of me. Well, they had imagery of this, the Israelites as they're going up the mountain. Even in 1 Samuel, David is talking about when Saul, King Saul, the king of Israel, that would be like the president of the United States overtaken by a foreign army. And what they did is they cut his head off. And then they carried him uh, decapitated back to their city and they nailed him up on the city wall to hang there. And if that was enough, they had also murdered and killed his sons and nailed them up there. Well, what kind of nail does it take to keep a body up on a, a, a stone wall? This is the imagery that they have. There's so much uh, 
in this life that can crush us. And, and let this be a reality. It's not a reality for us, but if you're a Christian on Sunday morning, you're living in the Sudan, or you're living in some parts of uh, the world, in, in the Muslim world, where that the, the foreigners... Death is a real thing. I'm tr always trying to explain to my boys who are... Uh, 12 and younger, the reality of following Christ. And one of the examples I read about, and um, you, you can, there's, I think the Joshua product project has martyrs um, updates, but they took this one young Christian, he wouldn't repent, he wouldn't turn against Christ. So they took boiling water and poured it down his throat. This is happening. Not only is the enemy against it, but just think about the how fragile we are. Our most uh, important necessary organs are, are protected by a little skin and, and one-inch ribs that can be crushed. 20 miles an hour in a car, you can get in a car accident, it could kill you. How fragile we are and every kind of evil lives amongst us. So in, in the beginning, this is a sermon about those who don't feel safe and that there is a comfort, but it's also a sermon to those who do feel safe. And do feel like you're okay. You're not. If it had not been for God. But the point is, is not to, to scare us. It's not the purpose. But to grasp the reality of our vulnerability. I heard a report that back, even back in, I think it was the 1800s, or 1800, the average lifespan of, of an American was like 45. I mean, life is hard. Um, they are journeying journey to Jerusalem. These saints, these pilgrims, they have a reality of the dangers. They know the histories of all these wars that have been taken. And yet, you gotta, you got to imagine that some of them were thinking, but we're still here. We're still here. How is it, with all of these enemies and all this opposition and all our frailty, how is it that we are still here? And it's because of the covenant-keeping promises and the love and the faithfulness of God. To his people. So, if God is not on our side, we would be done. But, if you are an Israelite, you are completely safe because God is faithful to his promises. And that's point number two. And we see that right in the beginning. He says, the choir master, verse one, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say, come on guys, join me. Let Israel say it. All of us, let us say, Israelites, let all of us say, if it had not been for God who was on our side, we'd be crushed, but we're not. He's pointing to uh, the relationship that God has with his people. I'll get to, to us and how this relates to us, but first we have to grasp God's relationship with Israel, because as far as we are from the realities of war, we as a, a, a Americans, I don't know if anybody here is Jewish, but the relationship that God had with the people of Israel, we don't always grasp that in its context and in the depth and the reality. He says, let all of Israel now say. It, being called Israel is, is being identified with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, all the descendants of Abraham, all the way to the, the cousins and the grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and the 15th generation, and the 14th generation, all of them are Israelites. They're Israel. Uh, why is this important? Because all the way in the beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 12, God breaks in 
And he makes a covenant. He makes a relationship with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will be your God and you and your descendants will be my people. Now, today in, in the world, there's roughly about 7,000 different people groups. So people group is, they might be from the same country. The same country might have 50 different people groups. These are people that have different cultures, different languages, uh, different backgrounds. There were probably, there, there's like 7,000 now. There's probably a hundred, only hundreds, hundreds, or maybe a thousand uh, people groups back then. But God only chose one. He chose the Israelites. He chose the line of Abraham. Now, why did God choose Abraham? Because Abraham was holy? Because there was a seed of hope and a seed of righteousness in Abraham? No. Uh, Moses makes this very clear in Deuteronomy 7. He says, you are completely undeserving. He says, it was not because you were more in number than all the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all the people. It is because the Lord loved you. You want to know why God chose you, Abraham, in Israel? Because he chose to. It has nothing to do with you. It because It's because he chose him. God simply chose to love him. Now think about that. What a, what a lottery. What a, what a joy. What a blessing that God chose these people. Now, to dive deeper, to go a little sidetrack on this, this is a difficult concept that will kind of bring uh, uh, the reality of what I'm talking about here more to light. But what is the purpose of God? Ultimate purpose? To glorify himself. All a reality. All of existence, all of your lives, the reason that you're here is to glorify God. How does God carry out his own glorification? He doesn't leave it in our hands. He takes control of it. He says, I'm going to make myself known as great. My glory is going to fill the earth by revealing my justice, which is his wrath against evil, and also his mercy against evildoers. We see this in Scripture. So, Every person born is either born, not because of them, but for the purpose of God's glory, into a position to glorify God's wrath and justice or to glorify God's mercy and grace and love. Uh, Romans 9, talking about this, Paul is, is pointing this out. And he's talking to these people. He's basically saying what I just said to you. God, for his own purposes, for his own glory, has created two people groups. A people group that will reveal his great justice and wrath and will be recipients of it. And a people that receive his love and his blessing. And they respond and they say, well, that's not fair. Why, why do some people get wrath, hell, destruction, opposition, and some people get mercy? grace, forgiveness, and eternal inheritance. And Paul, Paul goes on to say, he says, what if God, to show his wrath, this is him teaching that point, what if God, to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And in order to make known the riches of his mercy, he prepared vessels of mercy. This is Paul saying, hey, listen, this is God, the way that he has worked. Uh, the point is, we all deserve judgment. But out of God's purpose of glorifying himself, he has chosen some 
to be vessels of that mercy. And through that mercy, he has chosen, I'm going to work through the line of Israel, through the line of Abraham. I mean, this is the, the, the greatest thing. The people of the Israelites are like, because it's on God's shoulders. God has chosen to do this. And, and, and our minds, our, our finite minds that only grasp various things for short seasons, say unjust. But Paul quickly rebukes us and says, who can know the mind of God? Who is his counselor? Will the thing that is formed, will the pot that is formed by the potter say to the potter, why did you make me like this? No, Paul basically says, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth quietly, quickly. This is God. Unsearchable are his ways, meaning we our, our minds can't grasp it. The greatest minds in the world don't understand it. But I don't need to understand it. I want to receive it. I want to receive it. If I'm a vessel of mercy, I want to receive it. I want to, I want to take joy in this. And so the Israelites are the vessels of mercy. He says, let all of Israel say, because he's saying, if God was not on our side, he's saying, listen, God is on our side. Israel, not because of you, but because of what God has done. And, and, and so very first thing to grasp is if you're an Israelite, God is on your side, you're okay. You're an Israelite by God's choosing. And second, th this is going to help us when things get really nasty in this world. God's relationship with Israel is not based on just a feeling or a friendship. It's based on a legal, divine contract called a covenant. An unbreakable covenant. There's no fine print where you can get a loophole out of it. Because God himself made it. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. When God met with Abraham. God in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 begins this covenant process. And he makes this covenant a divine unbreakable contract and in every covenant there's different things there's two parties the greater and the lesser there's promises this is what you will get in the, and then there's curses for breaking this covenant well in this promise that God has made with uh, his people with the Israelites through Abraham he says I will be your God and you will be my people the curse get this the curse if this contract is broken, God actually says, will be on me. So in, in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham. He says, it's time to solidify this contract. In, in, in our language, it's time come to my office and we're going to sign it. And God comes to Abraham and he, and he says to Abraham, grab these birds, grab birds and cut them in two and lay them in a line. So there's a path. Half the bird over here, half the bird over here. Another bird, half and half. And, and he causes a deep sleep to come over Abraham. So Abraham is part of this party, but he's not even present, really. He's not even an actor. And it says, Scripture tells us that Abraham sees a fiery pot. This fiery pot represents God. And God, this fiery pot goes right between the two carcasses. And in ancient times, when they would do this, the lesser party or the party that was going to be held accountable if this contract was broken, would walk between two calves, two ducks, uh, uh, dead animals, and it was to say, if I break this contract, I will be like these animals. Well, it's not Abraham who goes through it. God himself goes through it, and he says, if this contract is not true, that you will be my people, and I will be your God, 
and I will give you an inheritance. Let me be like this. Is God ever going to break his promises? Is God even capable of letting his yes be no and his no be yes? No. So as we stand and the enemy and the opposition come against us, and you think, I'm undone, God is going to leave me here, even though he's covenanted with me, it's not possible, saints. It can't be undone. This is a, a, a covenant that is unbreakable. Now, let me point out why it's how God throughout history has also shown that this covenant is unbreakable. When Moses brought the people out of Israel, they rebelled and they made golden calves, which is, I mean, the most horrific thing that you could do. You and I, as we confessed earlier, have sinned against God. Imagine this. They made idols and worshipped them. Doesn't If somebody deserves to be thrown out, don't they deserve to be thrown out and broken? Well, Moses goes to God, and because and, God's like, I'm done with these people. Moses says, remember your covenant that you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants. And God relented. Because he had to. He had to. Nehemiah chapter 9, throughout your, this week, read Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah gives a whole account of Israel and their relationship with God. And it's just horrific. God is good, they rebel. God is good, they commit adultery. God is good, they turn their backs. Every time, God takes them back. Why? Why? Because God is faithful to himself. And we even see in Jeremiah 31.3, it says, God says to nation of Israel that is likened to a whore that leaves her husband. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I will continue my faithfulness to you. If you are an Israelite, you have no need to be afraid because of God's covenant promises. But the question for us is, well, I'm not an Israelite. Are you sure about that? Scripture makes it very clear in the New Testament that Paul in Romans declares that uh, you, though, in chapter 4, verse 28, for not everyone who is a Jew, another name for an Israelite, is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision only outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Here he was saying to the, even to the people of Israel, God did covenant with his people of Israel, the true line of Abraham. But just because you were born of him doesn't mean that you are from him, that you have a line. It is a line of faith. Uh, Paul will go on to say uh, later on in Romans, he will say, Abraham, from whom comes all of Israel, is the father of all who believe. Here's the beautiful thing. Yes, God chose one family in the line of history out of all the people groups, Israel. And you and I are not naturally from that family. But we may be grafted in through faith where Abraham is your father. And if Abraham is your father, then God is your father. And you are an Israelite and all the blessings of Christ Jesus now belong to you. Because God, it was never through line, it was never through blood, it was always through promise. And therefore we too are Israel if we put our faith in Christ Jesus who God has provided. Therefore, if our faith is in God, we have no reason to fear because God's promises not only to Israel belong to them, but they belong to us. So 
reviewing if God is not on our side, we would be destroyed. If we are Israel an Israelite, we are safe because of God's promises. And finally, asking if God is powerful and present in your life uh, is a ridiculous question when we come down to the reality of it. We look at this meaning, yes, 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 right now, God is powerful and present in your life more so, as much so, as the time you can think back and say, I was on fire for the Lord back then. It was a sweet fellowship. Nothing has changed except your understanding of Him. Your feeling, your external uh, evidences of it, but the reality has never changed. God is always present. God is always powerful. He's, he's powerful in all the details of your job, of your spouse, of your health, of your finances, of the nation, of the enemies seeking to destroy you. He's always there. He's always there. Look at verse 6 through 7. They declare, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the flowers. A snare is broken and we have escaped. They're looking back and realizing the blessing that they have from God. God breaks their bonds ultimately. And beautiful is this. He uses the illustration of a bird that gets caught, caught by bird catchers. And, and a bird can never break its own bonds. You ever seen a bird? They're, they're not very strong. They're not, if it's caught, they can't release themselves. But it is God who releases them. And here's the point. Sometimes you're going to get caught. The bird was caught. The bird was trapped. The end of the road had come. And then the deliverance comes in that God does. He delivers. How can we trust that this applies to us? How do, how do we know that this applies to us? Yes, we know because we are now Israelites through faith in Jesus Christ. But God also gives us something else that's been repeated multiple times. He gives us this reality. Verse 8, Our hope, our help, is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, scripturally speaking, our confidence in the present and power of God is grounded in that He created all things. Is He present and powerful in sickness? God is the one who created everything, even things that can cause sickness. Does that, he's in control of it. God created nations. He's in control of nations. God created business and finances. He's in control of business and finances. God created houses and economies and roads and cars. He is in control of it. Everything you see is made by God. He is in control of every detail, everything, government, tsunami, sickness. He created, therefore he controls. And, and scripture is, is full of this. 29 times at least I see in scripture where it has this uh, heaven and earth relationship with God. Isaiah 37, 16. O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, for you have made the heaven and the earth. 2 Kings 19, 15. You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, have made heaven and earth. Genesis 14, 12. God most high, who is blessed, you are the possessor of heaven and earth. 2 Chronicles 2, 12. It says, 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth. Psalm 115, may you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, 2, my help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, 8, our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Psalm 134, may the Lord bless you from Zion, who made heaven and earth. Acts 14, 15, Paul talking to the unbelievers says, Men, why are you doing these things? Why are also men of the same nature as you who preach the gospel telling you that you should return from your vain things to the God, the living God, who made heaven and earth? Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is over all. He wants you to know as you're journeying, you're, you're, you're walking on his creation. You're under his creation. You're walking towards his creation. Behind you is his creation. Wherever his creation is, he is in control. Here's an exercise I want you all to do. Read Nehemiah chapter 9, Psalm 139. I did this years ago and I taped it up on my wall. Psalm 139 is a Psalm of David. Um, and you're going to recognize many of these verses in here. What I did is I went through, this is David talking about himself, encouraging his own heart with the reality of God. Listen to this. What I did is I took this thing and I simply swapped myself with David. And I have this up on my wall. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have examined Jeremiah's heart and know everything about Jeremiah. You know when Jeremiah sits down and stands up. You know where Jeremiah's thoughts are, even when Jeremiah is far away. You see Jeremiah when Jeremiah travels and when Jeremiah rests at home. You know everything Jeremiah does. You know what Sam is going to say even before Sam says it. You go before Sam and follow Sam. You place your hand of blessing on Sam's head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for Sam. Too great for Sam is to understand. Sam can never escape your spirit. Sam can never get away from your presence. If Debbie goes up to heaven, you are there. If Debbie goes down to the grave, you are there. If Debbie rides the wings of the morning, if Debbie dwells in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide Debbie and your strength will support Debbie. Debbie could ask the darkness to hide her and the light around her to become night. But even in darkness, Debbie cannot hide from you. Do you see how, how encouraging this is? Put yourself in this. Look at even, even going... Uh, on. Thank you for making Carl so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well Carl knows it. You watched Carl as Carl was being formed in utter seclusion, as Carl was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw Carl before Jer Carl was born. Every day of Carl's life was recorded in your book. Your moment, was, Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. Oh, how precious are your thoughts about Carl, oh God. They cannot be numbered. If you are an Israelite, put your name in there. There's no escaping the maker of the heavens and the earth. There's no going back on his covenant promise to keep you, that you are a vessel of his mercy for his own glory that can never be broken. Why would we ask if God is not powerful and present in our lives? Only if we're trusting in our eyes and not in our heart and walking by faith. As Paul says, do not walk by sight, but walk by faith. And this is, faith is trusting in what God has done, even though you don't see him. Never changing. Always the same.
See, without God, we truly would absolutely for sure be destroyed. We'd be done. But if we are chosen in Him, if we are a people of Israel, let Israel say, if we are chosen in Him through faith in Jesus Christ and get grafted into the family of God, receivers of the covenant promises, all the blessings belong to us, and God is powerful and present in us. A quick clarification. You say, but some die. Some are overtaken. And even in Israel, the enemy marched against them, and as those journeyed up, they had brothers and sisters and parents as uh, the marauders and the raiders would come in and they, they, they wouldn't just burn everything. They'd take the women and children and sell them into slavery and they would kill the men. What about them? Where was God for them? Well, saints, God still delivers. God still delivers. Jesus Christ was taken to the point of breaking and he was broken. Three days later, after his breaking point, God raised him from the dead. Death is not the end-all, be-all. Eternal separation from God is. Eternal damnation is. And God will always deliver you from that. He will never take away that promise. That's why we need to be like Timothy, uh, Paul when he's writing to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, and he, this is a prison letter. Paul's pretty sure he's going to die very shortly, and he, he was right. He's going to be beheaded. But he says to Timothy, he says, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Paul, who knew he was going to die, the knew that the enemy that was at the door, at the gate, the evil, awful enemy was going to kill him. And he says, No. God will rescue me. Because our goal is not to live on this earth forever, to be 120 years old. I don't want this world. Because I don't want this body that continues to rebel against God, continues the need to confess. I want God to make me completely new. Bring a new world without tears, without death, without fighting. I want a new Jeremiah, a new heavenly body that doesn't break down, a new heart that doesn't have to say, God, please help me stop sinning against you, but a heart that is always pleasing to God, one that is mine in Jesus Christ. So even though on the face of it, with our earthly eyes, it looks like God is unfaithful to his covenant promises, we have the reality that he never, ever breaks his promise. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word that breaks in to our reality, our day. We, 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 each of us came here and, and, and are going to go from here with thoughts and things to do and, and circumstances. But it's not the end of be all. These are the things we see. But there's a whole other reality going on. Lord, let us live according to that reality. That's what Paul lived according. He said the sufferings of this age are nothing compared to the, the things to come. And, and he also says, don't trust in your earthly riches that can fly away, that you think make you powerful and safe. These things can be done in an instant. But trust in the God who has been faithful for generation and generation and generation and generation. 
in a God whose faithfulness does not depend upon us. Help us to trust in the God. Help us to lean on that God. To go to Psalm 124, to be reminded by the leader, the Holy Spirit, let Israel say, if God had not been for us, but blessed be the Lord who has delivered us. We pray that you'd help us to do so in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.